Hello, this is Justin Coleman, Senior Pastor at University UMC, and this is our podcast. I hope these messages engage your mind, touch your heart, and inspire you to serve God and your neighbor. Check us out online at universityumc.church. Thanks for tuning in. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. I ask these things in the name of the God who is our Savior, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Once upon a time, long, long ago, in the kingdom of Susa lived a king named Xerxes or Ahasuerus, depending on who you ask. But for our purposes, we're going to call him King Xerxes because that's easier for me to pronounce. Well, old King Xerxes was a wealthy man, indeed. I mean, he ruled over 127 countries stretching from India all the way to Ethiopia. Three years into his reign, King Xerxes decided it was time to throw a banquet. And some banquet it was. Everyone was invited, everyone who was anyone. He invited all the leaders from each of the countries that he ruled over to come and to join him. For six months, they partied on. Now, one might ask, who was actually running the kingdom while they were supposedly these important leaders feasting, but that's another story for another day. What you should know is that King Xerxes wanted to make sure that everyone knew his name and just how wealthy he was, so he partied on for months on end with a whole list of the who's who of the kingdom. And when that didn't prove enough to satiate the king's appetite for money and power, then he threw a week-long party and invited everyone in the capital, important and unimportant alike. The palace was decked out in silver and gold and marble and pearl. The king spared no expense. He offered an open bar with drinks served in one-of-a-kind gold chalices. While the king was whining and dining all the leaders throughout the kingdom and all the men of the capital city, his wife, Queen Vashti, was entertaining their wives. That was until the king on day 100 or something of all this overindulging had the idea to call for the queen and have her parade herself in front of all these men to be leered at so that he could show off his wife's beauty. Rightly offended by the king's demand, the queen refused to appear at his beck and call. Well, the king became incensed when the queen defied his demand that she appear. So the king consulted his seven closest allies and asked them, what he thought, what they thought he should do about it. Well, one fella spoke up and said, look, it's bad enough that the queen has insulted the king, but she's also insulted every leader in the kingdom and every guy in the capital city by refusing to appear. And here's the worst part. What happens when word gets out that the queen defied the king? If that kind of thing happens in your household, O king, 
Well, then every woman in town, heck, every woman in the kingdom will be defying their husbands. Is that really what we want? A bunch of women not submitting to their husbands? Well, they couldn't let that happen. So the king makes a royal decree that cannot be revoked, that Queen Vashti shall be permanently banned from King Xerxes' presence. And what's more is that she will be replaced immediately. The king and his buddies conclude that when the king's ruling is made known throughout the kingdom, every woman will be sure to submit to her husband for fear that she too might be replaced. They really like this idea, and so they double down on the message. And they send a kingdom-wide message stating that every man is the head of his own household, and whatever he says goes. Later, when King Xerxes' anger has cooled, he begins to have second thoughts about his extreme reaction to what Vashti has done. So the king's servants decide that it's time to find a new queen. They constructed a plan to have the king appoint officials in every country of his kingdom to nominate beautiful young women to be sent to the palace to compete to be made the new queen with the king as the judge. Not surprisingly, the king liked this plan. Now, there was a Jewish man named Mordecai who lived in the capital city of Susa. Mordecai's ancestors and the Jewish people were immigrants to King Xerxes' kingdom. It's important to know that the Jewish people had been forced from Jerusalem, their home place, by King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar had forced many of the Jewish people north into his own kingdom of Babylon. This forced migration is an important event known as the Exile, and it has shaped much of the second half of the Old Testament of our Bible. The Jews who had been forced from their home country were at best considered second-class citizens in the foreign countries in which they now resided. By this time, much time had passed, and the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar had eventually given away to the rule of King Xerxes. The Jewish man Mordecai had raised his relative Esther because she was an orphan. Esther was beautiful. When the details of the king's contest were made public, many young women were brought to the palace to compete to become the new queen, and Esther was among them. The person running the king's contest took a special interest in Esther. Right away, the organizer of the king's beauty pageant set out to help Esther by ordering special beauty treatments, special food, and even special housing for her at the palace. While Esther appeared to be in a good position for this contest, perhaps it was her air of mystery that appealed most to the people of the palace. You see, Esther didn't say anything about her family or her racial background because her adopted father, Mordecai, warned her not to. Mordecai knew that Esther's status as a Jew would automatically disqualify her from being named queen. Every day, Mordecai stopped outside of the palace to learn how Esther was doing as she competed for the king's affection. The training for the contest took a full year of preparation. At first, this seems like a lot to ask of these women, 
But then I started to think about all the preparatory work that modern princesses go through, such as Commodore Kate Middleton, who underwent many lessons on protocol in the British monarchy in order to become Princess Catherine, who was set to be the Queen of England when her husband inherits the throne. So maybe that's just standard for princesses. As the king's pageant for his new queen began, each contestant was given just one night to impress the king. Once a, con once a contestant auditioned for the king, she never saw the king again unless the king took a special liking to her and asked for her by name. The pageant organizer coached Esther for her audition to be queen. The king was more, more impressed by Esther than any other contestant, and the king crowned Esther his new queen. A special banquet in her honor followed Esther's pageant win. Her prize package included a holiday declared in her honor throughout the kingdom, and generous gifts were handed out. Even after becoming queen, Esther continued to be guided by her adopted father, Mordecai, including continuing to follow his advice not to share about her Jewish heritage. One day, Mordecai was sitting near the entrance of the palace when he overheard two of the king's guards plotting to kill the king. Mordecai alerted Queen Esther of the plot, and she, in turn, told the king, giving credit to Mordecai. When the plot was verified, the two men were hanged on the gallows, and a royal record was made of the event. Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted a man named Haman to the highest-ranking official in the government. In fact, Haman was so high-ranking that the king ordered all of the king's servants to bow down before Haman whenever they saw him. So the people bowed before Haman, except Mordecai. Mordecai wouldn't do it. The king's servants questioned Mordecai's lack of appropriate protocol in front of Haman, but it didn't seem to make a difference. So they went to Haman to see whether something should be done about it. When Haman saw for himself that Mordecai didn't bow before him, he was outraged. Having learned that Mordecai was a Jew, Haman decided not just to take his anger out on Mordecai, but all Jews in the kingdom. Haman looked for a way to eliminate all the Jews in the kingdom. Haman then spoke to King Xerxes, saying, did you know that there's a certain underground group in your kingdom who really don't fit in? They are a religious and cultural fringe group. Their customs and their ways are different than those of everyone else. Worse, they disregard the king's laws. They are a threat and the king should deal with them. If it would please the king, let royal orders be given that these people should be destroyed. And as a sign of loyalty to you, king, and my commitment to this cause, I'll pay for the destruction of the enemy myself. I'll deposit 375 tons of silver into the royal bank to finance the operation. The king slipped the signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman in order to give him the authority he needed to carry out this decree in the king's name. Go ahead. The king said to Haman, you pledged the money, so do as you like with the people. 
The king's secretaries were brought in to draft orders written by Haman in the king's name to go out to every prime minister of every country in the kingdom. Orders were given to kill all the Jews and plunder their goods on a single day, December 13th. The king and Haman sat back and had a drink while the city of Susa reeled from the news. When Mordecai learned about the king's decree, he ripped his clothes to shreds and he put on sackcloth and ashes, a sign of deep mourning among the Jews. Then he went out into the streets of the city, yelling aloud on behalf of his people. He came only as far as the king's gate, for no one dressed in sackcloth was allowed to enter the palace. Mordecai was not alone. As the king's orders were posted in every country in the kingdom, there was loud lament among the Jews, fasting and weeping and wailing, sackcloth and ashes. Esther's servants told her about Mordecai sitting in ash and sackcloth at the palace gates. Esther was stunned. She sent fresh clothes to Mordecai so that he would take off his sackcloth but he wouldn't accept them. Esther called one of her servants to go to Mordecai and get the full story of what was happening. Mordecai told the servant everything that had happened to him. He even told him the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to deposit in the royal bank to finance the massacre of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the king's decree ordering the massacre so that he could show it to Esther when he reported back to her and gave instructions for her to go to the king and plead with him on behalf of her people. The servant told Esther everything that Mordecai had said. Esther sent the servant back with a message for Mordecai. Everyone who works for the king and even the people of the kingdom know that there is only one fate for a man or a woman who approaches the king without being invited. Death. The one exception is that the king extends his golden scepter towards the person so that he or she may live. And it's been 30 days since the king has offered me an invitation to be in his presence. In other words, this temperamental king has deemed that only those that he wishes can be in his presence. It appears that Esther is not in his good graces at the moment because she's not even be, been asked to be in his presence in the last 30 days. She is certain that she doesn't have the king's ear at the moment, and if the king doesn't wish to see her, then it will result in her own death. So Esther advises Mordecai to find another person for the task, someone better equipped to influence the king. When the servant told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai didn't back down. Instead, he sent Esther back a rather blunt message. Don't think just because you live in the king's house that you are the only Jew who will get out of this alive. If you stay silent at a time like this, help and deliverance will arrive for the Jews from someplace else, but you and your family, you will be wiped out. But who knows? Maybe you were made queen for just such a time as this. 
Esther took Mordecai's words to heart and sent him back and sent back to him her response. Go and get all the Jews living in Susa together. Fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days or nights. I and my maids will fast with you. If you will do this, I'll go to the king, even though it's forbidden. If I die, I die. Mordecai carried out Esther's instructions. Now you're going to have to wait until next week to hear the rest of the story from Pastor Justin. But spoiler alert, you can turn in your Bible to the book of Esther and read it for yourself this week and find out what happens. And now, just so you know, Esther is only 10 short chapters, and in my opinion, it is well worth a read. But before we skip to the end of the story, I want to pause right here at the height of the story for a moment. For such a time as this. Those words have echoed through the centuries ever since this story has been told. In fact, it's the title for this two-week sermon series. Esther is thrust into a beauty pageant by her adopted parent in a place where women are valued only for their beauty. And what is the only way that Esther is described up until this point? Beautiful. It's what we know about her. At least this beauty pageant, though, has afforded Esther a life of ease. She's had to hide her true identity as a Jew, but she has also not been labeled a second-class citizen in a foreign land like the rest of her people. You know, if this were a movie, this is typically where the fairy tale ends. The unlikely girl receives a few beauty treatments, which in the movies typically consist of a new haircut, a wardrobe change, and she takes off her glasses. And voila! Suddenly everyone realizes that she was really beautiful all along. Her beauty and her charming personality, they win over the king and they live happily ever after. Except this isn't where Esther's story ends. Much like life, it keeps going. Esther is thrust into a situation not of her own choosing, and she is underestimated. Valued up until this point only for her beauty. One would understand if she decided to retreat into palace life going forward. And it makes me wonder if you've ever been underestimated and how it made you feel. But then Esther's already marginalized people are thrown into crisis and she has a choice. She can either continue to live a life where she flies under the radar and people are unaware of her ethnic ties, or she can literally risk her high status and possibly even her life in an effort to save her people. Esther didn't start this fight. This was a fight over power among men who already have more power than Esther does as a Jewish woman. And watch out, here comes Mordecai. He's not an easy character. 
Not a role model, but nonetheless, here he comes and he's speaking truth. He says, look back at all those parts of your story that make you unique, especially those events that are hard and unfair, but who, which were vital to who you are. Look at the position that you're now in and see the unique opportunity that you have here. And look at these massive challenges facing us. Perhaps God has put you right here, right now, for just such a time as this. To quote the wise Stanley, creator of the comic Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. While Esther has not thrust herself into this fight among men over power, and while she has been marginalized as a woman and a Jew, she has been given unique power as queen. Will she, like the men around her, seek only to use her power for her own benefit? Or will she use her power to lift up her people? It's not easy, and it's rarely rewarded, to use the power you have been given to lift up others. I imagine that most people who are called into the prophetic role of speaking a tough word to power in order to bring justice wish that they could get some other role instead, please. Have you ever been called by God into spaces and places that you did not ask for? Messes that were not of your own making. Will you do what Esther did? Will you realize the reality of your situation, seek the help you need, plan carefully, fast, and put yourself in the hands of God? Has God put you? Has God put you? Has God put you here, right now, for just such a time as this? Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can visit us at universityumc.church where you can find services, events, and other ways you can get involved. Remember that we love you. We hope you have a great week. We hope the peace of Christ is with you. And we hope to see you soon.